Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome into the Thursday, November the 21st edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we'll preview Dolphins and Browns in Cleveland Sunday with plenty of roster moves to go over and what it means for the future of the Dolphins at the safety position. And we'll talk about Texans and Colts on Thursday night football tonight plus more draft names to keep an eye on at safety and receiver with all those roster moves. And we're going to look at Miami's dead clock plays, all of that and more. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can give me a follow on Twitter. It's at WingfieldNFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. We'll follow you back. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have the written report on this Dolphins-Browns preview up there live right now. Let's go ahead and jump right in. Injuries are the name of the game on this Thursday. Well, technically on Wednesday, as I record this edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, as we're going to update the injuries for the game on tomorrow's edition of Locked On Dolphins. But today, the Dolphins made plenty of roster moves, changing things up, primarily in the defensive backfield. On Wednesday, they added Rashad Jones to the injured reserve. Jones came back and played the game on Sunday, although he did look a step slow. He only played a few games this season, battled injuries all throughout training camp, was on the second team defense throughout training camp, and to be perfectly honest, from what I was told from some of the beat guys around the team, Rashad was more than happy to take on that role, eat up that $13 million salary, and just count his paycheck while he sat on the sideline, and now he gets to do that on the injured reserve. Rashad Jones' career in Miami could be coming to an end. We'll debate the fact whether or not he is in the ring of honor someday or not in the future. I tend to think that his good seasons in 2012 and in 2015 probably get him into that level as far as Dolphins all-time lore goes and I do think that he was kind of the guy that carried the torch from the Zach Thomas and Jason Taylor era into what we know now as Dolphins football he and Cam Wake on that Dolphins defense were kind of the two biggest names this team has had for the past decade. So if this is the way it ends, that's too bad. I really hate when a star player like that kind of just fizzles out in his hometown, the team that drafted him, the team that developed him, the team and city that embraced him and loved him. And he made his career here. He made a bunch of money in Miami, but now even though he's signed for the next three seasons, he could be on the outs as the Dolphins will have to pay a hefty price of dead cap money, more than $10 million next year and $4 million in 2021. He's almost always injured. He cost way too much money. And Brian Flores was noncommittal about Rashad's future at his press conference on Wednesday, positive or negative. But this could be the end for one of the Dolphins' longest tenured players in recent memory. A fifth-round draft pick in 2010, Rashad played 10 years with the Miami Dolphins and gave this team his all. So if this is the end, we thank you for that. 
20, Mr. G5 himself. Also on the injured reserve today, another safety, Miami's most prominent role or most prominent veteran, I should say, back in that role in the safety group. Bobby McCain goes to injured reserve. He hurt this shoulder in the preseason. You guys will recall, I think it was the Tampa Bay game where he made a tackle and got spilled out and later returned to that game, which I always thought was kind of strange. But now, after having his worst game of the year on Sunday against Buffalo, too many missed tackles, too many blown coverage assignments back in that back end, he just wasn't moving right. And we saw him rocking that shoulder harness all the way throughout the season this year after that preseason injury. As far as McCain's contract goes, yeah, he's here for a long time as well with that five-year extension. He's signed for the next three seasons, but the Dolphins really would only be on the hook next year for $5.2 million in dead cap space, and they can save about $13 million in cash on the back end of that deal with very minimal penalty as well. Will they cut McCain? I don't know about that. I think next year you probably transition him back into a nickel cornerback role where he is best served and most comfortable in that position, and maybe after that, if things don't click for him in this defense in that role, and then if it doesn't click for him there, you can move on. But for now, Rashad Jones to the injured reserve, Bobby McCain to the injured reserve, two long-standing Dolphins out for the rest of the season as more and more change comes onto this roster for the Miami Dolphins. And that means other guys have been added back to the roster, and the best news of Wednesday was that Andrew Van Ginkle, the fifth-round draft pick linebacker from Wisconsin, has been added back to the active roster. He should play in the game on Sunday. He was mysteriously placed on injured reserve to start the season after he had a really good training camp as far as I was concerned, and then he just kind of showed up on the injury report, and now he's missed more than half the season, but AVG should be back. You guys can find my scouting report on him up on LockedOnDolphins.com. Just type in Andrew Van Ginkle, Locked On Dolphins. You should be able to find that pretty quickly, but in that film study, I saw a guy that really, really adheres well to the principles of this defense. He's smart. He's instinctive. When he gets into zone coverage, he knows how to find his landmarks, but also how to locate the guys in the route in the pass patterns, and he doesn't just cover grass like we've seen with so many linebackers in the past, especially here. He's very good in coverage as long as you only ask him to go into the hook zones and to the flat in the short and intermediate areas, and when he gets to pass rushing, he's very good as a Blitzer, not a true one-on-one pass rusher in that regard, but he should add some juice to the Dolphins' edge rush. As far as the run game, that's where he has to get stronger. He's just not very functionally strong at the point of attack off the edge as it's a little bit too easy to displace him and catch him in the wash down off the edge of the line of scrimmage in the run game. So he'll have to work on that the last couple of games of the season and into the offseason, but I'm excited to see what he can do as a rusher. And Van Ginkle wasn't the only guy added back to the roster. From the practice squad comes up defensive tackle from the University of Miami, Gerald Willis. He's been added back to the Dolphins' active roster. He was on it earlier this season, sent back down to the practice squad. I talked about the possibility of him coming up, and now is the time for Gerald Willis to get some reps on the interior of that Dolphins' defensive line. And let's go ahead and change gears here before we get to the break. I mentioned this on Sunday's podcast. We saw Ryan Fitzpatrick once again catch the Bills on Sunday in a dead clock situation and what a dead clock means or dead play clock it means the play clock is going to expire before your game clock does and it gives you the opportunity to go to the line of scrimmage get a look you might like and snap the football that way or if you don't like it you can go into your cadence into your hard count and try to get the opposition to jump off sides and it's something that I see smart teams do all the time like for instance the New England Patriots do this 
all the time. The Miami Dolphins now, they do this all the time. And I first learned about how to use the game clock and play clock to your advantage in this situation, playing Madden at a young age, if you'll believe that long, long ago. But more to the point, anytime I was in a hurry up situation and there was like two minutes and 10 seconds to play in the half or less. So you're making a two minute drive at the end of either half, second quarter or fourth quarter. You almost always want to run the ball in that situation because you don't have to worry about a winding clock because you get it stopped at two minutes. You're going to get a soft dime defense most of the time, and it's an easy seven to 12 yards and a first down conversion. It can really jumpstart a two minute drive. I've seen teams in the NFL do that before, but usually it's always the smart teams like this Miami Dolphins team. And there are even more situations, like I mentioned, where this is applicable when the play clock is less than the game clock. You can do it in two minute. You can do it at the end of the first or third quarter. And Miami always does this hard counts to get offsides calls. No play actually called, but Fitzpatrick shows the urgency to get up to the line of scrimmage and a hard count gets the defense to jump off sides. I went as far back as the bye week and saw four instances of them doing this Four. I love that. That's outsmarting teams winning in the fine details. It shows forward thinking. It shows attention to detail. And most of all, it shows that the Dolphins are a well-coached team. On Sunday, is being a well-coached team going to be enough to seize victory in Cleveland? Not according to Vegas. The Dolphins are 10 and a half point dogs in Cleveland on Sunday. And if you think that spread is whack, attention football fans, past, present, and future MyBookie players. During Thanksgiving week, MyBookie is offering a risk-free bet on the Bears-Lions game. Simply choose a team against the spread for up to 250 bucks. If you win, congratulations. You've got extra holiday spending cash in your pocket. And if you lose, also congratulations because MyBookie will give you all of your money right back to you. It's a no-brainer because you literally cannot lose on the best holiday of the entire season. It's no risk. It's all gravy. It doesn't matter whether you're an experienced player or a first-time customer, my bookie welcomes all to come play. So quit waiting around and sign up today. Just log on to mybookie.ag and make your first deposit with promo code locked on. That's all caps, no spaces, and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar to jumpstart your bankroll. And that's on top of the risk-free bet. If you ever have any questions about sports betting, MyBookie's patient customer service can walk you through the process. And the best part is if you join this Thanksgiving week, you'll still have one last shot to take advantage of their incredible sign-up offer. Let me repeat, that's a guaranteed deposit match and risk-free bet for Thanksgiving only. So if you're a true football fan, you do not want to let this opportunity pass you by. You simply cannot lose. Make sure you do your part to support your team this season. Hop on the gravy train and get in on the action with my bookie, where you play, you win, you get paid. There are certainly factors that play into every single individual spread across the NFL or football landscape for that matter, but the Dolphins now 10 and a half point dogs on the road Sunday in Cleveland. And I mentioned this before, every single home team gets a three point buffer when it comes to betting spreads in the Vegas lines. And so the Dolphins got that three point bump from the Bills last week, but still to be six point dogs against a six and three Buffalo team really speaks to how Vegas and the public for that matter, after just two wins over the Jets and Colts over Sam Darnold and Brian Hoyer, it still got the team in a positive light as far as gambling's concerned. And frankly, gambling is the most accurate indicator of what's going to happen on Sunday because Vegas, the reason those chandeliers exist is because they win. So 
The Dolphins coming into Cleveland as 10.5-point dogs. Usually, double-digit underdogs have less than a 10% chance to win, according to the ESPN Football Power Index. I know that a lot of folks don't put much stock into that, but it's math, it's science, we're doctors, trust us. But as far as this game on Sunday goes, Miami will go to Cleveland. It's going to be miserable there, 42 degrees, 14-mile-an-hour winds in the forecast. Games at 1 o'clock Eastern, 2-8 and eight Dolphins versus the 4-6 and six Browns. And the Dolphins really limp into this game. And I'm sure that plays a factor in the point spread, but still on the other side of the ball, we all know the big story in this game. I'm sure that's all they're going to talk about on the broadcast. The absence of Miles Garrett and Larry Okunjobi, who basically are two of their best pass rushers, one on the exterior and a star pass rusher in Miles Garrett, and then Okunjobi inside. He and Sheldon Richardson had done a good job of getting pressure on quarterbacks this year. And my, and Olivier Vernon, I should say, on the other side, he's been out for a while with an injury. He's going to miss this game as well. So the Browns are super, super thin up front in that regard as well. On the offensive side of the ball, go to the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com. Get a look at all this for yourself. We're talking about the scheme of Freddie Kitchens, the players on this Browns offense and defense, and Steve Wilkes' propensity to blitz the quarterback. We're going to predict this game here in just one second. Let's talk about Freddie Kitchens here on the podcast. He had a sequence of plays two weeks ago in the Buffalo Bills game where they had eight cracks at the end zone from inside the five-yard line, and his play calling could not leave more to be desired. My goodness, it was a pitiful, horrible approach. And then we saw Freddie at the podium after the Miles Garrett situation getting combative and saying that helmet-to-helmet hits happen every week and all this stuff that you can just see it boiling over with Freddie Kitchens, where I don't think he's going to be there next year. I think they'd be wise to move on from him and try to get someone more veteran that commands more respect from this talented roster because they've kind of been the ones running the the operation there, the players over the coach. And I think that's why you get a four and six team on a roster who, let's face it, that roster is completely loaded from top to bottom. Yeah, they do have some holes, but the guys I just mentioned they're missing, all of those guys they have are better than what the Dolphins have when they're healthy. So you talk about the talent disparity in this game. And that's why I think that spread is so high. Even though I do think the Dolphins can completely coach circles around this team, the Browns, for instance, on offense with Freddie Kitchens and that terrible sequence in the Buffalo game on the goal line. And yeah, you do want to run the football in that situation, especially when you have one of two guys in the league right now with a thousand rushing yards in Nick Chubb. And they did that. But so many of those plays were toss sweeps. Why are you trying to get on the edge when you're inside the five-yard line, line up behind a fullback or a tight end, and jam that thing up in the middle for a couple of yards and push it across the goal line? That was atrocious. They seem to be risk-adverse when it comes to Nick Chubb. He had that fumble issue in the New England game a couple weeks back, but this guy's got 1,000 rushing yards on the season. He piles them up in bunches and still... Cleveland goes with a 60-40 split in favor of the pass. They rank 22nd in total offense, 21st in passing, 12th in rushing, and 25th in scoring. If they're going to run the football and get back to what works for them best, this is the week for them to do it. On the other side of the football, I think Cleveland looks at the Buffalo Bills game plan and just matches that thing play for play. They come after quarterbacks with blitzes. He doesn't even have his full complement of pass rushers, and that's why Steve Wilkes likes to do it to create one-on-one chances for guys like Miles Garrett, Okunjobi, Olivier Vernon. He loves sending pressures to create those matchups, and Cleveland ranks fourth in the NFL right now in blitz percentage. They send extra rushers at a clip of 40%. 
and it has made them effective to the tune of the 11th best pressure percentage and knockdown rate on quarterbacks. They have 30 sacks. That's eighth best in the NFL. But can they get the pressure without that triumvirate? They're going to disguise their coverage on the back end of things. Wilkes wants to bait and trap Fitzpatrick with his zone coverage looks and plenty of cover two looks and cover three. He's going to rotate between those things. And then they'll go back to their head hunting ball hawks in the secondary. Remember, this Browns team had four hits to the helmet in the game on Thursday, a bounty type game against the Steelers, if you will. So be careful out there, Dolphins players. I don't want to see anybody getting hurt in this one. The Browns will also miss their fair share of tackles because they're hunting for heads. They're 11th most missed tackles in the NFL. Some other players that I think will factor into this game plan very significantly. I talked about this last week, the fresh legs on a Thursday night with Kareem Hunt, and we certainly saw that in that game. He had three third down and long conversions through the air. He looks really fast right now, and I think that happens when a running back gets back into the game with fresh legs against defenses that have been in the grind for the last 12 weeks, and I'd expect Kareem Hunt to get even more opportunities in this game and probably have a big game in his own right as well. I just think between Chubb and Hunt, the Browns can completely get off in this game on the ground and in the passing game to the running backs and that's going to be up to Baker Mayfield to get them into the right checks. He's had a much maligned season this year which has been greeted appropriately I think for how brash he can be even though I do love the guy's character and his makeup I think that's essential for a quarterback in this league but he's turned the ball over too much but he's heating up right now and if he can get back on track this is the kind of game I think he can do it against an undermanned Dolphins defense. I am really really intrigued to see that matchup between Odell Beckham and Nick Needham because I think he's going to draw the best receiver the Browns have and that is Beckham it's not Jarvis Landry don't make a mistake about that even though the production's been down for Beckham this year he is the most imminent problem in that Brown sec receiving core and I really want to see how Nick Needham can deal with his speed and disrupt him at the line of scrimmage that's going to be a fun matchup to watch as far as the Browns offensive line goes they are terrible at the tackle positions JC Treader is a very good center and captain just got a contract extension but look for Miami to send pressure and stunts and loops off the edge of this Browns offensive line because they cannot handle pressure and getting Baker to roll to his right is the most beneficial thing you can do. I do think Vince Beagle could have a big game in this one, but can the Dolphins get interior pressure? This would be a great game for Christian Wilkins to get off against that bad Browns interior offensive line as well. Really the entire offensive line of the Browns struggles this year. JC Treader and Joel Batonio are good players, but the other three guys have not been so far. How does this Dolphins secondary matchup against that receiving core of Beckham Landry and possibly the return of David Njoku? That's the big concern there. And of course, on the running game of the Browns, I just don't see how the Dolphins hold this Browns running attack to less than 150. That's about the Dolphins season average this year. There's no reason to think the Browns can't match that and even go beyond that. All things told, in this game, I just don't see Miami having enough firepower or juice to stay with it. I do think they'll start strong because the game plan of the coaching staffs will show the differences and how well this team is coached compared to how poorly coached that Browns team is. They're going to have to get some Ewing Theory action on that defensive front to create a pass rush because their best guys are all out in this one. They're going to manufacture that rush and collapse the pocket and expose the Dolphins' thin offensive line. But I do trust Chad O'Shea to get the ball out of Fitzpatrick's hands early with that early screen. Script, but of course that doesn't last the entire game so I think this game will follow a similar track for the Dolphins this year kind of a slow start not many points on the scoreboard to begin with but then as things get rolling and Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt where the Dolphins defense down and Mayfield starts to get heated up throws for a couple of touchdowns probably the Browns pull away I'm gonna go 31 Cleveland 17 Miami and the Dolphins lose their second straight and fall to second and nine ahead of a December slate that has three games the Dolphins could be favored in two on the road one at home with the 
the Jets, Giants, and Bengals. Going to be a fascinating December as this roster continues to kind of fall apart down the stretch, but we'll keep an eye on it and we'll have it covered for you guys here every single day on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. When we come back on the other side, we're going to talk about the safety position in the draft. I want to tell you about a slot receiver that can make a big difference in this offense, an offensive line hypothetical, and we'll talk Texans and Colts. All of that next, but first, Long day at work, still stuck at the office. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered right to you wherever you are. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of 15 bucks or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code LOCKEDON. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. If not on Twitter, let me know if I haven't and I'll show you guys the photos. When I was a kid, and I'm talking like age 13 to 15 probably, my friends and I used to raise money when we went to lunch at high school outside of the local grocery store where we ate pizza sticks and fried chicken and all that fun stuff. We'd raise money for paint and then we painted my backyard to look like an actual football field. It was like 40 yards or 30 yards by 15 yards. We put logos in the end zones, had midfield logos, did the hash marks, all the fun stuff. And we played every single Saturday up until we started getting our licenses and then girls became a part of our life. But that song I just played you guys, The Offspring, it reminds me of my buddy who was not the most athletically gifted of our group of friends, but he did know how to play the electric guitar and he would always show up during these football games or playing in the backyard, like intense physical tackle football games among a bunch of 14, 15 year olds. And he'd come back there with his amplifier and his electric guitar and play songs. And he was so happy with himself and so proud of himself when he learned how to play The Kids Aren't Alright by The Offspring. So every time I hear that song, it instantly takes me right back to the best years of my life, my childhood. So much fun back in the hometown playing football with my boys in the backyard. But speaking of football, let's talk some Miami Dolphins football here and the NFL draft. We know by now that both Rashad Jones and Bobby McCain have headed to the IR, which means that Miami is in the most unique situation in NFL history in their secondary. And I'm just saying that to say it because it has to be true. I lack the historical knowledge to know whether or not it is true, but check this out. The Dolphins, of their 11 active defensive backs, 10 of them were added on the roster in 2019. Seven of the 11, 7-11, got here after September the 1st or later. So five of those guys were in-season acquisitions, whether it's Xavier Crawford, Ken Crawley, Adrian Colbert, or Ryan Lewis, or Marcus Sherrills. And two of those guys, Stephen Parker and Ken Webster, were added on cut-down day on September 1st. Seven of the 11 are all here or all got here, rather, after September the 1st this year. And you have guys like Nick Needham, Jamal Wills, and Chris Lamonts who were added to the secondary back in the draft and in free agency when Jamal Wills got picked up. Those guys are now the veterans of the group after guys like Walt Akins and Eric Rowe. And Rowe, by the way, was signed here in March as well. So the experience, the chemistry, it's so crazy how much this Dolphins team has had to deal with just completely deteriorated in that defensive secondary. And with that... We get into my favorite draft class, my favorite position, I should say, to evaluate in the draft. And safety has been my jackpot, man. Like, I don't want to pat myself on the back too hard, but I have been nailing these safety picks for years now. Even going up to Jesse Bates with the Bengals, who had a dynamite rookie season last year. That guy was my dude out of Wake Forest. I was a huge Buda Baker fan. The biggest Derwin James fan called him the best player in the draft back in 2018. I also loved Minka, which we're seeing how good he can play now up with the Pittsburgh. 
Pittsburgh Steelers, Buda Baker in Arizona. That guy is my dude. This is my position. It's what I'm telling you. And when it comes to the Miami Dolphins, they're going to have to remake this group. And I think this is a great draft class to do it. I talked about possible scheme fits on Twitter. This is what you have to do to play safety in Miami. It's the Patriots scheme, man. It's the exact same thing. Carbon copy. They want you to tackle. That's first and foremost. Everybody on your defense has to tackle. That's why Miami are a top five tackling team this year, despite all this changeover, because they practice it. They drill it. They did these fundamentals every single day in practice. It was not fun to watch, but it's been effective. Number two, you have to be able to come down and cover and play multiple positions. Can you match up in man coverage? The only guy that doesn't have to do that is a single high safety because this defense is going to play more man free than anybody besides New England and Detroit in the NFL. And that man free safety can basically go sideline to sideline when he's 15, 20 yards off the ball, just kind of eyeing things and keying things. He has to be fast and instinctive to play that position. And then the Patrick Chung role, the strong safety role. If you're going to be a strong safety in this defense, you have to be able to run fit. They're going to use you in run gaps and eight-man boxes to come down, match up on tight ends, even play inside the outside linebacker and fit that C-gap as a run defender. All these things are paramount to play safety in this defense. And I think there's a great mix of players in this draft early on in rounds one, two, and three that you can kind of approach those situations or those roles with these types of guys. You all know about Isaiah Simmons from Clemson. To me, he is Derwin James 2.0. I'll just leave it at that. You guys know how I feel about that player. He's probably the Dolphins pick with that second pick in the first round if they want to do it. He might even be gone by then as well too. So we'll see what happens come draft day. Xavier McKinney from Bama. This dude is your single high free safety option in the first round. Probably that Texans pick at the back end of the first round. He flies all over the field and he has that alpha mentality as well that you love from players pretty much anywhere on your team, but mostly in that captain situation back in the single high safety position. Julian Blackman from Utah. He'll be at the senior bowl in Mobile. We talked about him last week on the podcast. Former cornerback, two-time All-Pac-12 cornerback, moved to safety this year. He had a big fumble forced on a blitz against the, was it UCLA last Saturday? He covers, he ranges back there and makes plays in the football, has a bunch of picks. He got one more in that game against UCLA, and he is now top 10 among active college football players in interceptions. Speaking of picks, Antoine Winfield in Minnesota has seven on the season already. Yep, he is the junior of Antoine Winfield, formerly of the Buffalo Bills and Minnesota Vikings. This gopher can flat play, man. He plays the game kind of like Jonathan Abram, who's another one of my safety crushes, by the way. I didn't mention from the Oakland Raiders. He plays like that dude. Like, he is angry at the world. That's fun to watch. And then Ashton Davis from Cal, another single high safety option back there. He has some track speed at the position, can flat scoot and get to either hash mark from either hash mark. He's fun to watch play as well. He'll be at the senior bowl as well. So plenty of guys to keep an eye on. I did see one tweet about a receiver who's going to the senior bowl. I think I could be wrong on this, but Devin Duvernay of Texas, 4.2 speed from the slot and he can run routes from that slot, quick twitch, straight line speed. I want that in this defense. You get speed in that slot position with Mike Gesicki on the other side of your slot. Oh, buddy, we're talking explosive plays all over the field, especially with the trees and Williams and Parker on the outside. By the way, did you know that Devontae Parker, since the bye week, is fourth in receiving yards, sixth in receptions, and third in touchdowns in the AFC? He's like a Pro Bowl receiver since the bye week. Awesome for Devontae Parker. Let's fly through these last two topics here real quick. I put it up on Twitter, talking about hypotheticals on the offensive line. Every night when I go to bed, this is going to sound weird to you guys. When I go to bed, I think about possible 
solutions for Dolphins problems. Like that's how my mind works. And I was thinking about the offensive line and how if we do get to a, or any rookie quarterback, I would love to build this thing up and just put a wall in front of that quarterback and let him do his thing. And I got to thinking about this, like there's only going to be so many options you have. And one of those options for the Dolphins might be to just spend a crap load of money on the offensive line. I think Joe Tooney is a great possibility as a left guard, but you're going to have to make him the highest paid guard in football. And then at right guard, you have another guy in Washington who could get free in Brandon Scherf. You're going to have to pay him the highest guard contract as well. Is that overkill? Is doing that and trading for Trent Williams and using your 25th pick or your 35th pick, whatever that pick turns out to be in the back end of the first round or early in round two, is using that pick on a Jedrick Willis? Is that too much? I just want to know how much of an investment on the offensive line is overkill because you can overkill it with your budget spending on positions. But I do think Miami is going to have to replace at least four of those guys up front and it's going to be costly to do so. Last thing, Texans and Colts tonight. I don't see how the Colts get this victory, although it would be huge. They're with Jacoby Brissett on one leg. They've got no T.Y. Hilton, no Marlon Mack. I just don't see how that happens on a short week on the road. It would be fantastic because the Texans have a game with the Patriots next week and a loss here and then there could push them to 6-6. and And on the outside looking in on the postseason with four games to go, Two of those against our boy Ryan Tannehill, which if he won those games, would then basically push the Texans out of the playoffs. And if they miss the playoffs, that pick goes to top 20. So once again, we're relying on Ryan Tannehill. But again, on the game tonight, I don't see it happening. I think Watson's too much for that Colts defense. I don't think the Colts can score with Houston. And I think this game winds up being pretty lopsided. On Sunday, Pittsburgh is in Cincinnati. So it's probably going to be a bad weekend for the Dolphins' other first-round draft picks. As for today's show, so that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your Thursday. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a Friday mailbag edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up!